They were losing their property. Some of them were being imprisoned. And they were facing this tremendous uh, trial of faith, tribulation. He, he mentions a number of words here, tribulations, reproaches. Um, and, and he talks about this. And he says, but you have this confidence that um, what's ahead is better. You have a better possession at the end of of verse 34, and a lasting one. And he says, so don't allow this confidence to slip away from you, but you need to endure. And so he writes chapter 11, showing people who were given promises, who had this confidence in God, who faced great trials, who had to endure, and some of them never got the promise, but they endured trusting God. And then, uh, of course, you go to the context of the book. And the context of the book is to show the superiority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of, of the chapter, we'll get a glimpse of that. And then when we go over into chapter 12, the first few verses, that will be the, the highlight, what he stresses. So there's these three goals that he has. And some of us are here and we need to be encouraged. I need to go. There's some area of my life that's coming up and I need to trust God in this and live a life of faith. There's some of you who are undergoing difficulties and, and you know the promises of God and you, you have this confidence in your life that God's at work and you need to endure. And all of us need to look to the Lord Jesus. Find in him the sufficiency uh, that we need. Now, the, the um, writer of Hebrews has been uh, working his way chronologically through the Old Testament, selecting examples of faith. So we've looked at people like Abel and Enoch and Noah before the flood, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, and Moses uh, during the time of um, the patriarchs and then Israel down in Egypt. And we ended with verse 29 last time. And so we're going to pick it up uh, there uh, in, in verses 30 and 31. Uh, in, in verse 29, the children of Israel, we'll just read that. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. That great moment of, of in the history of Israel that they constantly look back to in the Psalms and they constantly looked uh, back to in, in the prophets um, this moment when God displayed his power and now we're going to look at the rest of the chapter so let's pray Father we just come into your presence and we pray as we look at this next section that you would be pleased to minister to our hearts you know the need of, of your people where people are struggling with faith, where people are struggling with what you're doing in their lives, why they're facing what they're facing. And so we pray that you will, uh, through your word, uh, reveal your son and, and encourage your people, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you flip? to the next slide because I'm not able to once again. Um, all right, the next stop uh, on our 
our stop is here in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. We're now 40 years uh, advanced from, from verse 29. In chapters 3 and 4, the writer of Hebrews has already reflected on the unbelief of the children of Israel that led to the 40 years of wandering. All those who had been 20 years old or older have died because of their unbelief, except for Joshua and Caleb. And the new generation is being called to faith. And so here's the situation. Of course, you remember the story. They crossed uh, the Jordan, which was at flood season. So it was out of all of its banks, but God stopped the waters and they crossed on dry land. And when they came into the land, uh, they reestablished the covenant relationship with God, and the sign of that was circumcision. During the wilderness wandering, they had not circumcised their male children, and so now every man is circumcised, every male is circumcised in the nation of Israel. How would you like to be in a foreign land uh, surrounded by enemies, and you take out your entire army and you circumcise them, and they're not going to be available for anything for the next three days? But they do that. And then because they've reestablished the covenant with God, they celebrate the Passover. And they eat of the food of the land, and the man is over. So now you've got a flooded Jordan at your back. You've got no more manna. And standing in front of you, blocking the way into the land of, of uh, Israel is Jericho. With large walls and a professional army. And so that's where they were. And God's improbable solution was, I want you to walk around the city for six days, once, every day, and on the seventh day, walk around it seven times, blow your trumpets, and the walls will fall down. See, God loves doing great things using small means, because then it's obvious it's him. But this is a great test of faith. I'm sure they were jeered and mocked. I'm sure some of them, after uh, two or three days of marching around that city, were tired, frustrated. What's God going to do? But by faith, they did it. And there were some lessons there uh, for, for Israel. There was the lesson that God is more than enough. By taking Jericho in this striking uh, way, God demonstrated his power, and all the land of Canaan now knew they were up against a force that wasn't just Israel. And there was a need for endurance. I'm sure God, God said seven days, and, and that's a long time period uh, to be in that uh, difficult situation where, where you're unsettled where you're facing a, an enemy that's too powerful for you. You've lost the manna. You've got a Jordan River that you can't cross on your own at your back. And God needed them to learn endurance. And, and so uh, the writer of um, Hebrews, having said, you need endurance to these people who were suffering, points out the children of Israel. They learned endurance. And then verse 31, we come to Rahab. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. By faith, 
Rahab. In Joshua 2, 11, um, Rahab says to the spies, uh, we heard about the, what, you, what happened to the Egyptian army and how God uh, allowed you across the Red Sea. We saw what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. Now, this is before God stopped up the Jordan. They don't, she doesn't know about that. But she says, for the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Rahab had come to the realization that the God of Israel was God. And she put her faith in him. And then it was challenged. Are you going to align with this God and the people of Israel? Or are you going to align with your own nation? And she chose to align with the living God. And as a result of that, she did not perish, notice the words, along with those who were disobedient. They knew Israel was coming. They knew God had given the land to Israel. There were those who chose to, and Rahab is the one, to line up with the children of Israel, and there were those who chose to resist the plan of God. And they died. It's interesting that God uses that same word disobedient of the Israelites who were in unbelief. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. Even the Israelites who saw the miracles of God, he calls them, they, were, they died because of their unbelief, their disobedience. There's some lessons here. Faith brings salvation from judgment. A judge, a salvation that's universal. Even a pagan Gentile prostitute can be saved. And it leads to works. Notice what she did after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And so there is a salvation, and, and he ends this long list with this wonderful example of salvation. If you're here, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to be saved. There's judgment coming. God is going to judge this world. And you can be amongst the disobedient who are judged, or you can be amongst the obedient who obey the word of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your savior. But for those who are disobedient, there's judgment coming. But for those who come to the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God receives those who receive his son. And there's this wonderful message of salvation in the life of Rahab. In verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say for time will fail me? If I tell of, and this is the number, he's not run out of examples, but only out of time. Another number of commentators feel the Spirit of God has caused him to stop here because in, uh, from verse 8, the call of Abraham, through uh, verse uh, 31, Israel coming into the land and being victorious, um, you really have a picture of the entire spiritual history of, of every individual. It begins with the call of God, where you hear God calling you to salvation. 
And it ends with you someday entering the kingdom of his dear son and having it as your inheritance. And so uh, in Rahab, there's this picture of how to be saved. And in verses 8 through 31, there is this, this picture of the entire uh, Christian life. Beginning in, in verse 32, the writer leaves examples of the faith of particular servants to generalities of the kinds of exploits faith produces. He quickly names six people. Four come from the period of the judges and two from the beginning of the time of the kings. And some of the exploits mentioned come even from the time of the exile. Another interesting fact about this is that in the three sets of paired names, the writer no longer follows the chronological or biblical order. So if you go in the word of God, Gideon actually appears after Barak. And uh, Samson is after Jephthah. And David is after Samuel. In the first four names, which are mentioned only here in the New Testament, and, and in fact, um, I believe in all six, you see examples of faith mixed with failings. Now, if you go back, Abraham failed, Isaac failed, Jacob failed, Moses failed. But these six men had significant failings of faith. And God ministered to them. Now, he doesn't go into that in depth. We'll just, we'll just touch on it and then look at one briefly. Um, one of the commentators writes, in every saint there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. All of us struggle with faith. All of us have failings of faith. But God works with his people. And so he, he lists six men, and I think there's six hindrances here that he's, he's highlighting by naming these men that uh, Christians struggle with. Gideon struggled with doubt. He needed God's reassurance through signs. God, make the fleece wet and the, the ground dry. And so God does it. Now, wait a minute. Maybe that happens normally. God, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And so God does it. And then God invites him to sneak down to the Midian camp, and he overhears two Midianite soldiers talking, and I had this dream, and, and, and we were wiped out. Well, that's the sword of Gideon. And God was constantly reassuring Gideon in his doubt. For Barak, he struggled with fear. Uh, one commentator said cowardice, but, but fear. Deborah calls him and says, God's appointed you to lead us in, in victory, uh, gather some men and strike the enemy. And he says, I won't go unless you go with me. She says, well, then you're going to lose some of the glory because uh, a woman is going to give us the final victory. And so J.L., kill Sisera. But he struggled with fear. Um, Samson. He struggled with carnality. 
Samson was a Nazarite. He was to drink no wine or have anything to do with anything else from the vine. His hair was to remain uncut, and he must not touch a dead body. And he broke all of them. He was constantly at drinking parties. Delilah cut his hair. He killed a lion and later went back and ate some honey out of it. Uh, One writer said, he only had two recorded prayers, and both of them were totally carnal and self-centered. God, I've just fought this battle. I'm thirsty, and you're going to allow me to die out here of thirst. And so God made some water for him. God, I've been mistreated by my enemies. I want you to allow me to wipe them out. But I don't want to live. You know, if, if, you're, if you were an Israelite family living back then, and your son came home and said, hey, I got a new best friend. His name's Samson. Would you be thrilled? I don't think you would. But you know what Samson had? He had a childlike faith. When he prayed that God would help him with water, he knew God could do it, and he expected it. When he asked for him to be allowed to destroy all those, those enemies, he knew God could do it, and he expected it. And so despite his carnality, God saw faith. Jephthah. Impulsive promises. Have you ever seen, sometimes you'll see in a movie or something, someone's in desperate danger. I remember seeing a movie and this guy decided to commit suicide by swimming way out into sea and he gets out there and he takes a deep breath and he goes under the water and all of a sudden he comes up and he says, I want to live, I want to live. And so he's way out from shore and he's swimming back frantically and he's making all kinds of promises to God. I'll do this, God. And when, if you save me, I'll do this. And then when he gets to shore, he says, you know, I think, God, I could have made it. it. Just forget all those promises. People make impulsive promises thinking they can kind of move God. God's moved by faith. God keeps his promises. He made a rash vow. He said, God, if you give me the victory, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll offer you as a, a burnt sacrifice. And God gave him the victory. And the first thing that came out of his house was his only daughter. Difficult. I didn't put up David and, and Samson, but I've been thinking, or Samuel, I've been thinking about them. You know, sometimes you think of David's sin with Bathsheba, but David's real crisis of faith occurs in 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, where it said, He said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape to the land of the Philistines. Discouragement. Sometimes Christians stop exercising faith because they're discouraged by circumstances. Do you know it almost cost David the king, the kingdom? He lived in Ziklag. He had to raid places and tell the king uh, that he had, he had raided Israel. So he slaughtered every man, woman, and child in the towns he took. So there was nobody left to carry the tale that he wasn't raiding Judah. And then he went, 
he went with the Philistines to fight against Israel. That would have disqualified him forever from being king of Israel. God had to, to actually step in and cause the other leaders to say, no, we don't want David at our backs. He might decide to betray us. And they sent him away. And then God caused the, the ones that David had attacked to come and take Ziklag and take all the people away. And, and it says David uh, encouraged himself in the Lord. He came back to the Lord. Instead of discouraged, he was encouraged. But he found the encouragement in the living God. Discouragement. For Samuel, you'll find it in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, where God said to him, How long will you grieve over Saul, saying, I have rejected him as king, uh, from being king over Israel? Clinging to something that's past. So I have some hurt, and I cling to it. And my grief and anger over it keeps me from growing in faith, seeing God working. Some, some event that came in that was very bitter to me, and I cling to my bitterness. And so I'm not able to see what the doors that God's opening. And so these six hindrances, and it's amazing. See, God wants us to trust him. God wants us to walk by faith. And he understands that there's doubt. He understands that there's fear. He, he understands that, that there's carnality that we're tempted by. He understands that sometimes we're impulsive, wanting somehow to, to force the hand of God. He understands discouragement. He understands things that are in the past that we cling to and that we we somewhat hold against God. And he moves in our lives to draw us to himself, to trust him. I thought we would look at, I put the quote by Matthew Henry up there on that last slide. True faith is acknowledged and accepted even when mingled with failings. Aren't you glad God's more gracious than we are? Someone struggles and I write them off. God puts them in the hall of faith. Willie, would you have chosen Samuel as a man of faith if you didn't have it here in Hebrews 11? But God sees our hearts. And people wrestle with things, and we don't, we don't understand what they're wrestling with. All these men won, won victory over overwhelming odds. Because God's gracious work in their lives. And we don't know what other people are battling with. So I thought we would look real quickly just at Gideon, just for a moment. In, in, Gideon, in Judges 6.13, in verse 12, and the angel of the Lord comes and says, The Lord is with you, O man of valor or a valiant man. And um, he says to the angel, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is for us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about? And then he lists the going through the Red Sea and some other things. And, and you know, the first time I, I read that about Gideon, I say, you know, where is God? That's a terrible thing to ask. 
But you know, I was reading in my devotions this last week in Jeremiah 2, verses 6 and 8, where the Lord rebukes the Israelites and later the priests for not asking, where is the Lord? And it was because um, they chose to trust their own plans and their own workings instead of God. And so they didn't need to know where God was. <laughs> they had no interest in trusting God. Sometimes it's good to ask, well, where is God? Later in verse 13, God will say, my, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and dug for themselves broken cisterns that contain no water. And so God actually wanted to encourage them. And sometimes God takes us into situations because he wants us to say, where is God? God did these things. Where's God in my life? To draw us to himself and to draw us to faith. And so we have these, these first six that deal with the, the hindrances to faith, where he highlights in these men, men of faith who battled through it, who God encouraged, who God helped. In the next section, I call it the unnamed. And so let's read it. Uh, verse 32, for what shall I say? Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received their dead, back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting release, so that they may obtain a better resurrection. He lists a whole group of people. He doesn't put any specific names to it. Um, some were done by the six named above and the prophets, but others were not. Um, and some of these, there's not a name attached uh, that, that we know for certainty. Some had military victories. They conquered kingdoms. Uh, Joshua, David. Some had righteousness in government. It's a word that really means righteous uh, action in government. And so you have Daniel, who was that way. You have Nehemiah, when he was governor of Israel, uh, who you can see that in his life. Uh, some obtained spiritual promises like Abraham and David and Jabez. Others experienced deliverance from lions like David, Daniel, Samson. Fire like Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The sword, uh, David escaped the sword, Elisha, uh, Elisha. Others received personal help. They won strength out of weakness like Jael. They were mighty in war like David and his mighty men. They put the flight armies like Gideon. They received dead back by resurrection like the widow of Zarephath and the widow of Shunan. They were tortured. Uh, and it's very interesting. This is a very specific word for torture. It means to be tortured by put on the tantunum. The tantunum was a, a wheel that you would be stretched over, and, and like the rack, you would be stretched so that when they whipped you, the, the, the pressure on you would cause the skin to separate as they would lash you. 
And some people were tortured in the tantunum, not accepting release, deny the faith, turn from this God. And they chose not to because they wanted a better resurrection. Well, what's that mean? Well, the ones who received their dead back by resurrection, those children died again. But the ones who died faithfully under the obedience to the Lord Jesus, they died to a life that they'll never die. And so they had a better resurrection. And so there are all these unnamed people. I mean, some of them we can attach names to, but we're not sure that that's the person he meant when the Spirit of God had him write that. And you know what? Not every missionary had a book written about him. Lots of missionaries out there you and I have never heard of, but they faithfully served God. There were two women who were upperclassmen at Emmaus when I was there. One went to Africa, got off the plane, got in a car to be driven to the station, heavy rainstorm, the bridge was out, they plunged in, she died. Everybody else with her. Another one went to Vietnam, worked in a little village, the Viet Cong came in, they fled into the surrounding fields, the Viet Cong caught her and killed her. Both of them had very short tenures, but they were faithful to God. And there's lots of people, and there are people in this room. And you may say, well, nobody, nobody ever thanked me for that. Nobody even ever noticed I did that. It's okay. God noticed. God saw it. God's recorded those exploits that were done by faith. So just the fact that you're never named here doesn't mean God won't reward that God doesn't know. Here's a whole list of events, and, and quite frankly, commentators aren't sure on some of those who it could be. And then there's the next group. Um, the outwardly unhelped, verses 36 to 38. Others, and this word means others of a different kind. These are not the ones who trusted God and turned armies to flight. No, these are who experienced mockings and scourgings, yet also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were people who trusted God and acted in faith, but who seemed to fail and are unrewarded outwardly in this life. And look at what they endured. Mocking, scourging, imprisonment, stone, sawing in two. Most people feel that is a reference possibly to Isaiah. Put to death with the sword, destitute, ill-treated, homeless. Weist says of these people, the world drove them out, thinking them unworthy to live in it, while in truth, it was unworthy to have them living in it. God notices. Ananias, the one that, that prayed for Paul, was told, uh, tell him how much he must suffer on my behalf. 
Wouldn't you like to have that as your command from, from Jesus Christ? You're going to suffer lots as my guy. Well, there are Christians in this world who are suffering lots for the Lord Jesus Christ. And to all outward examples, they received no help. But they served the plan and purpose of God. And you may have experiences where you faithfully do something and you're rejected, you're mocked, you're mistreated, and you keep waiting for them to turn in response to your acts of faith and your obedience to Christ, and maybe they never do. All that work, and you don't see anything that you can say, look, this is what God did. Well, they're Christians. That's their calling, because our calling is to faith and obedience. So Paul points out these who um, outwardly didn't receive any help. Verses 39 and 40. And all these, all these faithful saints, whether we name them and we know exactly who they are, or whether they struggled with faith, or whether we don't know who they are, and, and they accomplished great things, or whether they, it looks like, never accomplished anything. But they were people who trusted God and acted in faith. He says, gained approval through their faith. See, there is a day. Every act of faith will gain approval. Samson, really, all that drinking, cutting your hair, touching that dead lion, I called you to be a Nazarite. But, Samson, thankful for your childlike trust in me. I'm thankful that you always counted that I would do what I say. Thank you for your faith. Gains approval. From the living God. But he goes on. Even though they gained approval, here they are listed. They did not receive what was promised because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They did not receive what was promised. They didn't get a chance to see the Messiah come or enjoy the, the blessings that flow from his death. As the writer of Hebrews has pointed out, they had the shadows, not the substance. They didn't get to experience the blessings of the new covenant that you and I get to experience. Uh, unrestricted access to God. Sins done once and for all. No need to run up to the temple with another animal. An advocate in the presence of the Father, as, as we sung about ministering there for us. No, God has chosen to provide something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. 
Their promises involved God's kingdom established on earth. So he promised them a land and a city. And that will not come until the Lord Jesus Christ comes for us and then comes back to reign. And then we all will receive our inheritance, glorified bodies. They'll be made perfect, but they, they're, they're glorified saints. He'll talk about them in chapter 12. They're in the presence of God now. Their resurrection, it is not complete. They've not been raised from the dead. And they won't be raised from the dead until we're raised when he comes back for the church. And they will not get their full appreciation of their promises till we get our full appreciation of our inheritance, our glorified bodies, our home in heaven. And where we will all ultimately share the new creation. And God did that because it was all summed up in the Lord Jesus. All the promises to them were summed up in the Lord Jesus. They didn't get a chance to see. And all of our promises are summed up in the Lord Jesus. How nice it is that we look back to the cross. And as someone shared in the breaking of bread, all that we learned that we have, we were already given the moment we got saved. We possess it now. God wants us to enjoy it now. They didn't get that and won't get it until all of us get it together. Faith. God wants to encourage you this week to walk in faith. He's given you some wonderful examples. He recognizes there's hindrances. Doubt, fear, carnality, impulsiveness, discouragement, clinging and grieving over something past. And he wants to help us through those things to be people of faith. Whether we ever get our name attached to something that he does or, or we don't, God knows and he will attach our names someday. And even if it doesn't turn out the way we hoped, God knows in the process we were faithful to God and we would the writer of Hebrews say, endured. Like Moses, enduring, and he endured because he saw the one who's unseen. You may not see his hand moving, but we know he's there, and we endure because we see him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for, for these, and even some of our brothers and sisters right now who in various lands, are imprisoned because of their faith. They're being tortured because of their faith. They're seeing their loved ones killed because of their faith. But we will go out into another week and have opportunities to live by faith. Help us not to live by our own strength. Help us not to live by our own wisdom. Help us to seek your, your mind, your truth, your power your help, because we ask it in Jesus' name.